Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Now, uh, joining us is the author, author of My Brother's Keeper, and uh, she's Chris Russell Blackwood. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. Now, now um, this is a quite quite the book. What got you into writing this book? How did you get into the story? Well, actually, I had no intention of writing a book when I got into the story. A friend of mine who was a friend of the murdered victim's brother got me involved when the case was reopened in 2012 because she had done some work for the family business uh, of the deceased. And she was, you know, they were rearresting um, the uh, murderers at this time and, and bringing them into South Louisiana. And so she got me involved, and we started uh, immediately working with Ted Kurgan, who is Gary Kurgan, the, Kurgan, the victim's brother, in creating these timelines and, and trying to find more about these people because uh, they had been let go once in the early 80s. As you know, this is a cold case, so we wanted to make sure that they didn't slip away again. So I got involved with them just as a person to look through uh private investigator reports and, again, help with the timelines. And one of the murderers had a set of diaries that was uh, part of the evidence. And to the whole process and the dedication of Ted Kurgan uh, on this case, to, to work on this case, because of how it started to play out and the amazing coincidences, uh, I said, somebody's got to write this book. And that was me because <laughs> so uh, to answer your question that's why i wrote the book because it's an amazing story and i was fortunate enough to be right in the middle of everything that was going on at journey for me 
Yeah. Uh, so did you have a background in, in criminal law or something like that? No, I, I am a journalist. I've been a journalist uh, for more than 40 years. I worked at the Daily Paper here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for a number of years and left there to start a city magazine, which I owned for 20 years before I sold it. So I, while I had a background in journalism, I had written a lot of short-form articles and such. I had never written a book. Um, you probably that, also so, yeah, have a, quite a process. You probably also have a natural curiosity. That, oh, my gosh, yes. Of course, I learned that from, you know, early days in the newsroom when uh, people would get upset by what was going on. Uh, Ted Kurgan, when you're the story, it sounds like this person has just tremendous love and tenacity together. He really does. Um, uh, in promoting the book, I, I just came up with this tagline, how far would you go? Um, people think, oh, well, he had a great deal. You know, he had he had money. He had resources. So, of course, he did that. And that's. <laughs> no one would have gone. I don't. I don't know anyone who would have gone to the extremes and the lengths that Ted Kurgan went to to make sure that these two uh, were brought to justice. Incredible tenacity. And he says, "Well, my brother would have done that for me." Well, hopefully so. But they really have an amazing story. Uh, they were raised in Detroit. Uh, the, a single mother who didn't have a lot of resources and. Gary, who was the older brother from an early age, and kind of dragged Ted along the road with him. And they were on the verge of this huge expansion with Sonic, and all of a sudden Gary gets murdered, and uh, Ted is thrust into this crazy world. Um, just to go back to the beginning of the story, exactly um, where did it begin? Well, it began actually uh, in South Louisiana, in the Cajun part of South Louisiana, Crowley, Lafayette area, where they began as uh, Sonic franchisors and were expanding into Baton Rouge and New Orleans areas. So they actually had an office, so to speak, in Baton Rouge, where they met with another uh, franchisor, Larry Tucker, who became an integral part of the story as well. And they would meet at this office do their business meetings, and then go back to their respective homes. Well, Gary went missing one night, and was he was supposed to go back to Crowley, Louisiana, and meet with Ted. They had just received word that their bank loan had gone through. The expansion of their business was, was in place, and Gary doesn't show up. Of course, Ted, as I mentioned, was thrust into this. He literally gets in his car, and he's trying to find – because this is the 1980s. There, there are no cell phones, of course. There's no Internet. Um, and you couldn't file a missing person report for 24 hours. It had to be done in Baton Rouge. And he was about, I guess, 100 miles away from Baton Rouge, uh, where Gary went missing. So, uh, Ted looks for him himself for days. When the police get involved at first, they're not really, there are no leads, so they're, they don't really have anything to go on. And Ted discovers the initial lead that leads them to the murderers. Uh, Gary had been, uh, at this, bar where this dancer slash prostitute lured him back away and murdered him. Although she she was 19 years old at the time uh, from a wealthy family from Ohio. So her whole story is very fascinating as well. Her then 36-year-old boyfriend, they, they were both together in the murder. However, she had uh, a vision of herself as this... Uh, 
up-and-coming person who was going to become some kind of actress. Or she was working her way to California. Uh, Gary, as I mentioned, businessman. He was, uh, you know, he was a brash person. I'm sure I can see from the 80s wearing the gold chains and the blah, blah. And, <laughs> and uh, I think that everyone, in fact, in talking to people who were at this uh, bar, Everyone called him Sonic Gary. I think they thought he had money and that he actually went around to the various locations and picked up cash or something and had cash in the trunk of his car, in his car somewhere. And also, um, I think it was that. It was for the money. Um, and also, I, I think they might have – I'm not sure Gary's the only one they killed. It was the only one they were that they uh, were found guilty of. But I suspect it, part of it was for the thrill of killing as well. They moved out of New Orleans very quickly and uh, and murdered Gary toward the uh, end of November 1984. Was, and then they oh. fled to Las Vegas, which is really interesting as well. Oh. So so they, they actually fled the, the scene. Like they uh, they knew they killed someone yes. and, and they wanted to get away. Um, why did they choose Vegas? Well, because Ron had also worked there as a casino barker and as a clown. So um, I, I'm sure that he knew that area well. He was from North Louisiana. I actually spoke to some of Ron's relatives who remember seeing her when they stopped there in North Louisiana before they went on to Las Vegas. Um, but uh, very interesting that they even tracked her down. Uh, again, I mentioned that people... Who the, the couple who owned the bar where they were, Gary and Dorothy McGee, had grown to know Gary Kurgan because he hung out there. So they became friendly, very friendly. And when uh, – actually, it, it's another coincidence. Ted is the one who located the bar where Gary was the night he was murdered by accident just because he was you know, going everywhere he could possibly – that Gary had ever been, and this was – Going to this bar for Ted was kind of a last-ditch effort. And uh, when he walked in, one of the girls called him Gary. So hmm. um, he he became acquainted with the owners, who, and that's how they found out her name. And Question? Uh, were able to put a, uh, a warrant out since she was the last person to have been known to see, to have been seen with Gary. Question? And then Question? when she got to Las Vegas, she applied to be a dancer there, and the warrant popped up i was just curious about um you it says you said that uh the the this couple was re-arrested so they are, were arrested at one time yes they were arrested for the murder uh uh then in 1984 and brought back from las vegas to baton rouge oh after las vegas that's when they got arrested yes yes okay. they were arrested there because uh as i said there was a warrant out for her as a material witness in the case and when she went to Las Vegas to apply for a dancer's license there, the warrant came popped up. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually a pretty cool story about how Ted gets the detectives to Las Vegas because they were only able to hold uh, hold them for so long. And then, But they do get there. And uh, what ensues there is pretty interesting as well. Um, some of the things that were, were remarkable about the stories that the crime scene – uh, near the bar in Baton Rouge, uh, the original crime scene investigator was uh, a gentleman named Hiller Moore. And today, and at the time the case was uh, prosecuted, the cold case was prosecuted, 
he was the district attorney. So he his office actually prosecuted the case, and he happened to be the original crime scene investigator, you know, 30 years before that. What was the first clue for Ted when he started to do this, to, to kind of point that pointed back to that couple? Well, once they found out where uh, where they lived, uh, they Ted was able to really be close to this case, or because uh, he was able to find the lead on the on the nightclub. So the depth of the two investigators really respected him, and he also had been many years before that he had been deputized by the uh, parish sheriff's office where he lived. So he had a badge. And also, he had an interesting encounter with the mayor, which, anyway, all, for all these reasons, Ted was really, really involved in the case, as probably few people could have been. But anyway, to, as, to answer your question, um, once he the house and there was an obvious signs that there had been, you know, blood signs and blood stains, and there had been a struggle, the police knew there had been a murder there. Okay. And then, but they they found that their uh, his Gary's car and and how did he and they they saw the blood in the trunk is that what they did? Yes, yes, that was the evidence. Ultimately, that uh, years later in 2012, they were able to uh, take the blood evidence from the trunk, the DNA, uh, and connect it to Gary's son Wade, and so that's how they were able to rearrest the couple in 2012. The DNA oh. evidence tied them to it. Okay, so that means that uh, that showed that Gary was in his trunk, <laughs> which is... Gary was in the trunk, and actually um, there was enough blood in, uh, that there, they knew that whoever was in the trunk died in the trunk. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay, and then they they uh, they brush for fingerprints in the car or anything. They did they get anything like that? They did all that, and that is and that's why initially uh, they were. But what really got them, uh, besides just the blood evidence, because at that time obviously no DNA uh, around, you know, DNA testing around. But what what really Lila confessed in Las Vegas the. 19-year-old confessed. That was the um, the main reason why they were arrested. It's because she confessed and pointed the finger at Ronald Dunnigan. Oh, okay. So then the it, finger, yeah, they did go through with all that, but they were they could not. There was no fingerprint or hair evidence, so that's why they were released. Oh, eventually okay. they were released. But they were uh, still suspected, though they just didn't have enough. On oh, them. absolutely. Uh, Ted Kirk and the brother Ted, he. Absolutely, was beyond convinced. So he spent the next 28 years doing private investigation. He knew where they were at all times. He knew what they were doing. He followed them, not personally, but he, you know, he knew everything about them. I mean, he kept up with them continuously through this time. Okay, I gotcha. She actually um, confessed. Why weren't they able to keep them arrested and convict her even on that? Because she recanted. I mean, she was, and and I think because she also was, you know, young and pointed to Ronald Dunnigan, who pretty much quiet. He's not said much of anything throughout this whole thing, throughout this whole process. He's not really spoken at all one way or the other. But she, uh, 
you know, she, she kind of turned it around on him. And like I said, at the end of the day, uh, back in the eighties, you know, one minute, literally one minute, the DA's office is prosecuting and the next minute they are letting them go saying, um, there's no body. We can't tie the, you know, there, there's no fingerprint or hair evidence. So we're going to. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Let him go, which was a big, huge blow to Ted Kurgan. You know, he he was incredulous. He couldn't believe it. So how did they get a hold of the the diary? The diary was um, found... uh, in Las Vegas, in the Las Vegas apartment where they were. Oh, okay. And actually, Ted Kurgan was there, and he, Ted Kurgan was everywhere as the story unfolds. He was actually in Las Vegas. He actually found the diaries in their um, apartment. Hmm. But the diaries remained in evidence, uh, you know, from from the eighties until the case was reopened. It, it was uh, credit the Baton Rouge Police Department. It was it was there. So. The diaries were very much a part of, of this whole story because it showed the premeditation. It's, they're an interesting uh, kind of, I don't know, sociopathic combination with uh, what a teenage girl might talk about losing weight. And, you know, it's just a very interesting read. But, yes, the diaries remained in evidence from the 1980s.
especially if you said that she was kind of like the uh, the mastermind of it. Yes, exactly. And uh, the diaries they re- they point to that. I mean, they point to that because uh, you know she says things throughout like uh, stop being bossy to Ron and written the vernacular of a teenager, but um, you can tell that she's very much in charge. And he's, he, um, as I said, he didn't speak much, so, um, he, he's very street smart, um, so, I, and I, and I, I think he was maybe more the brawn, she was more the, uh, the one in charge. What was the difference, um, uh, in evidence? Is it just the blood and the DNA that uh, allowed them to move forward and try to prosecute them now? Yes, and the diaries, yes. But without the DNA evidence that tied um, the blood in the trunk to Gary's biological son, um, the case would not have been reopened. Actually, the, the Baton Rouge Police Department was given a grant, a federal grant, to open a cold case division. Um, this was the only case <laughs> that it, it pursued under that grant because the grant was then not <laughs> renewed and so again another coincidence this was the only cold case that was uh part of that federal grant and ah. uh there were you know in considering cases to open another interesting character uh person that's part of this story memory tucker who is the daughter of larry tucker who i mentioned early in the interview he was also a sonic uh, franchise franchiser um his daughter was eight years old when Gary was murdered, and you know, through all of this going on around her, swirling around her, she decided at that age that she wanted to be in law enforcement, and so she became an investigator in the victims' rights uh, department. And she actually did a lot of research and pulled together information on this case to present to them. And so, um, probably her ability and in information and and interest in putting this case in such a you know in such good order it probably was one of the main reasons it was the one that was picked up hmm. to, to be investigated and prosecuted so it's yeah it's very interesting um one of the original detectives re thompson there were two on the case um he was he testified at the trial in 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 2015 from all those years ago so there were a lot of people who were involved in the case then Mm-hmm. Uh, who were still involved when it when it came when it, the cold case was uh, resurrected? And where was the car at for all this time? Well, the car um, the car had been was in a parking lot in uh, suburban New Orleans. the The couple drove the car down there and then took a taxi uh, cab back to Baton Rouge. But that's you know it's a sixty five seventy mile trip, so. Uh, but they drove the car down there. They drove the car down there and abandoned it in a okay. uh, parking lot. And then, and since the 1980s, that car is still around, but is like in police custody or something. No, the car the car is not still around. And uh, you know, even through the Herculean efforts of Ted, he he tried desperately to find the car, but and, tra- and did trace it, but the car. Uh, you know the evidence from the car remains, but the car itself is not was not part of the evidence. Oh, okay. But they had photos um, of of the trunk too, as well as the actual blood evidence. Mm-hmm. Do Do you think that they um, got any money from him, or 
anything um, I do, but I don't think they got a few th- a couple thousand dollars. It wasn't the haul that they thought they would make. You know, he, they just it's like he had more cash on him than most people would have had, but it certainly wasn't what they were hoping to get. So I think there was another element, maybe the thrill element, or or uh, that had to be it. But I think literally they thought he went around to all the Sonics and to the day's worth of uh, of uh, concession money and that he had it in his car when he when he showed up. And she lured him to that. Um, he had had an appointment to see Ted that night, as I mentioned, to talk about their business. And he didn't show, obviously, but he, he was killed during the evening. But she somehow lured him because he, uh, Ted spoke to him on the phone and he, he was ill. So we don't know what you know what she did to get him over there again she uh she never she would never tell us that part of the story or, or release anything about that but um it, he shouldn't have been there in the first place well it sounds like she had a lot of control i bet she was quite charismatic herself definitely she was beautiful um, you know, dark hair dark eyes she was very outgoing and um, I think she had a, a little bit of damsel in distress about her, um, uh, but definitely extremely manipulative. And to this day, I've talked to her twice. Um, it, it, even uh, when I, the first time I met her, and she's very petite, extremely petite. So the first, you know, I had to do a double take, even though I had, uh, you know, so much information on this case and on, on her personally. And, uh, you know, it, it was hard for me to believe that was she because she was so tiny and so petite. Wow. And then, so she probably completely lacked remorse then. Yes, that is, that is true. There's no remorse at all. Hmm. Now, when you said that uh, his brother um, had been um, spending the last 28, 30 years uh, following them, you know, through investigation and, and kind of seeing where they go and, and all that stuff. Uh, was there any indication that uh, either one of them killed others or did the same sort of thing again? Um, not not that he could pinpoint. Um, Lila Mullah went on to become a nurse. She married, um, uh, had children. Her, but her life, there was a part of her lifestyle that was always... Um, a bit uh, out there. Uh, she, I don't think she ever really led a totally straight life. Although, uh, you know, she did work professionally, and you know, she did marry and everything. Um, again, I think she manipulated. She manipulated her husband, her her ex husband, um, and I. We had a lot of. Although there was no confirmation. Uh, there were interviews with different co-workers at different hospitals that she worked with, and, and all of them talked about strange things about her, but there was no, nothing ever to prove that she killed anyone. And so the diary did not say that that was, it just had a lot of damning kind of side evidence kind of thing? Correct. Mostly, uh, I mean, it did list a couple of people. Um you know, first names or nicknames, but, you know, there was nothing. And actually, I, I probably Gary, because she mentions another man's name that she's looking for, she's hunting for, whatever, for that night. And I think Gary just happened to be, um, 
you know, the unlucky of the two because she she somehow caught up to Gary and not to this other person that she, but she actually mentioned two different people in the diary. Wow. And she calls him Sonic Gary in the diary, so there's no no mistake about who she's talking about. Right. So they ended up getting convicted, the two of them, correct? Um, she took a 30-year plea deal. He was convicted and uh, received life without parole. Oh, okay. So Which she, is very strange in itself as well. <laughs> yeah. So she she actually took a plea and testified against him then? Is that how it went? Yes. Yes, she did. And, uh, yes. Uh, it was, uh, I, I was in court for that. I was quite, her testimony was quite incredible. Um, we, you know, it, it was, not, it was not easy to predict what she might say because, again, her <laughs> her uh, she's got a very uh, you know some type of unusual personality. I'm no psychiatrist, so I certainly can't uh, speak to exactly. But um, you know, she's uh, definitely uh, you know lied about other things. So it was. And anyway, her testimony, while there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't all truthful. There was enough truth in, you know, there was enough of the story that got him convicted. Oh, okay. Because she did talk about being scared of him and uh, stuff that I'm not really sure is all true. So it sounds like the the diary paints a different picture than what she was trying to paint in the courtroom. Absolutely. Two whole different stories. Okay. So what do you hope people get out of the book when they read it? Well, I I think again, although you know, it is a cold case. It's a murder. It's a cold case murder story. I think that the most important thing to me was um, Ted Kurgan and his tenacity and his uh, his willingness, his drive, his determination to do whatever he had to do. I mean, he was a chauffeur that chauffeured Ronald Dunnigan around. Uh, you know, he dressed as a chauffeur to really? get close to him and find out information. Yes, I mean, he went to incredible, incredible length uh, personally and, you know, uh, using his resources to uh, to get information that would put them behind bars. So Ronald I mean, did not it's, it's know. It's an incredible read just to read the things that he did. And um, the, the chances, so to speak, that he took, um, uh, he and the assistant... District Attorney Dana Cummings uh, did an unbelievable job, uh, so, so very capable. But, uh, you know, they sort of worked hand in hand. Um, and it was, it was just, uh, it was, to me, it was so inspiring, the, the things that he did. And it just never, never gave up on this case. And uh, he had no idea it was going to be resurrected. In fact, it was... Uh, you know, the, it had been considered for some months before Memory Tucker actually made the call to Ted to tell him that. And I mean, he was absolutely flabbergasted, you know. So once, once, uh, once the case was reopened, I mean, he had his foot on the gas the whole time. Um, and so that's to me the beauty of this story is to read the things and the length that he went to. It has a great, um, 
again, the timing and the coincidences that are involved throughout the book are really fascinating. And the ending is really, uh, the ending of the book, it ends out in a wonderful place, uh, as well. But I, I guess I would hope people get, uh, get to know Ted Kurgan and, and admire and aspire to these things that he did to, um, I, to get these people convicted, to put them behind bars. Because we all say that, you know, I say this all the time, we all say that if this happened to my sister, my brother, my dad, my mom, that we would do these things, that we would do what we had to do, but I don't think people would go to the lanes that he went to. Or couldn't. Wouldn't, couldn't. Right. right. The mm. persistence, yes. So do you have a website or something that people can go and find you on? Or? Yes, yes. They're, uh, my brother's keeper. My brother, well, mbkbook.com. Okay. mbkbook.com. There's uh, stories and videos on that. Fantastic. Well, it's been very interesting, and, and we'll have the book up so people listening can just do one click and pick up the book. Uh, the book is called My Brother's Keeper, and our guest has been the author, Chris Russell Blackwood. Thank you for being here. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.